Hey, everybody, the weather is changing. Your workplace is changing. So how do you become valuable at work to survive all of these changes? Changes. We're talking about it up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. President Barack Obama and his political opponent Mitt Romney will face off for their final live debate tonight. The main focus of the exchange will be on foreign policy, and the moderator has already said that the rise of the Middle East will be one of the main topics covered. Mitt Romney is expected to once again bring up his critique of the Obama administration's handling of the 9-11 attack on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya. The president is likely to try and focus his remarks on how he ended the war in Iraq and the killing of Osama bin Laden as part of his successful record worldwide. Romney won the coin toss, so he will receive the first question tonight when the debate begins at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The so-called fiscal cliff has been a constant pending worry on Capitol Hill, but some congressional leaders are supporting a new measure that would help the budget to evade some of the looming across-the-board cuts. At the first of next year, $109 billion in cuts are scheduled to go into effect, but the new plan would reduce the amount to a more manageable $55 billion. The interim solution would push back further cuts and deficit reduction later into 2013. This plan does not address the issue of the Bush-era tax cuts coming to an end, which has also been one of the most pressing monetary issues prior to the coming election. A shooting rampage in a Milwaukee-area spa this morning ended with three women being killed and four others wounded. The man suspected of carrying out the attack took his own life at the scene. He had recently been placed under a restraining order by his estranged wife, who authorities now report is among those killed. Further investigation has shown the suspect's social media records held pleas on his Facebook account for help to get him out of Wisconsin earlier this month. The last post on the account was relisting him as divorced. Officials have not yet released the other names of those killed and wounded in this tragic shooting. Lance Armstrong has now been officially stripped of all seven of his Tour de France championship titles by the International Cycling Union and banned for life from the sport. The president of the union, which is professional cycling's governing body, said in a statement this morning that Armstrong has no place in the cycling world and deserves to be forgotten. He also outlined that the cycling world would have to start over after facing decades of doping problems from some of the sport's top athletes. Armstrong stopped battling the charges against him earlier this year, stating that he never failed a doping test and that eventually fighting is no longer worth it when your accusers have already deemed you guilty. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can every day on this program to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, hopefully giving you a leg up on this crazy thing we call uh, life. And, you know, today, again, no exception, we have uh, got a great show for you today. 
The whole crew's here. The game. They'll. What are we? Are we still making up names. We got to make up a good name. Um, <laughs> and for some reason, I've, I'm not. I'm looking right now at Skyler, and I'm not liking him. And it has. It's directly related, Sky, to our topic today. Okay. Why don't you like me, Matt? Because you're encroaching. You told me the other day that I was your best friend. You were my best friend. <laughs> So today we're, today we're talking, it's so hard to not like you. I know. You're so cute and cuddly. <laughs> now, see, Matt's being a whiner, because this is the largest radio studio in the history of radio. It's huge. It's feet by feet by feet. And uh, I'm sitting here, and I feel like I'm Jim Halpert on The Office, and I had all my papers up where I needed them so I could see them. My rundown for the whole show was sitting there. And you knocked it over. <laughs> You're being a jerk. <laughs> well, you told me that I was a bully earlier. So You're just... being a bully. <laughs> Isn't it funny? So we have actually a pretty good team here. It's, and every time Sky walks in the room, for some odd reason, we all get quiet and we hush up. It's just out of reverence. It's out of reverence. And we're always like, shh, don't say anything. Don't say anything. There he is. There he is. And then he just walks in and smiles. So is that what you were doing? You were just trying to get me back? No, I just, I don't know. Because trying to liven things up. You've got all these monitors in my way, so I can't see you. But all I have is one paper, and you just knocked it over. <laughs> I don't know. He that. understands the secret of radio, that the true star of the show is not the talent. No. It's the technology, dude. It's the guy. It's, it's the, the, board, the board op. I think sometimes you try and take the, take the show for yourself. And I know. It's true. Take all the credit. I think it's, is that why you keep saying you're the puppet master? Yeah, that's why. You run the puppet. I'm in charge. If he wanted to make it the Skyler show, he could a couple do of it. buttons, and he's right there. Well, should we just flip it over to you, Sky? <laughs> Let's do <Sure>. it. <laughs> oh, my heavens. I need a nap. Your life guide side on the side. Bride on the bride died. Bride died. died. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sky. Good stuff. Uh, Sky's a good guy. He really is. I mean, just a little rude. Only when I need to be. Actually, you're not. It's so funny. I can't even say it without like feeling guilty. <laughs> you're the farthest thing from rude. Uh, ornery at times. Actually, not even that. I'm just perfect. I can't even put you down. It hurts. Um, okay, then let's not do that. Let's just go to the news. Who's got a news story about unique humans and their crazy way of living? You got to set up your wireless internet at home and you need to pick a name. Because it's boring if you're... I like a macho name, like Thunder, Cisco Default. (laughs) Nobody wants that. Thunder. What what, what do you call your Wi-Fi network at home, Matt? I call my Wi-Fi Thunderbolt 2012. That's exciting. Yeah. I think we call ours at uh, my apartment Batcave. Password is Adam West. Oh, my gosh. This is one true Batman. That's a throwback. An Adam West. A little throwback action. But some people don't like their neighbors getting on their Wi-Fi. or It's becoming a new neighborhood outlet for passive-aggressive really? uh, comments. A, yeah, kind of a passive-aggressive way to comment to your neighbor without having to own it. Exactly. So the BBC has compiled a list. Of one neighborhood, some of the uh, names. That okay, this will be so, good. Uh, somebody named their wireless network, stop stealing my newspaper. <laughs> Loser. And the neighbor replied uh, by renaming their wireless network, FYI, I don't read it, I just throw it away. Ooh, <laughs> Hatfield and McCoys, here we go. Um, one person named their network, your music is annoying. 
your being Y O U apostrophe R E, oh. which is neighbor which is, replies <laughs> naming their network. Your grammar is more annoying. Here we go. Them is fighting words. It's gloves right there. Do people change their Wi-Fi names a lot? Oh yeah, you can. It's not very hard. Well, you can I get bored disagree. of it after a while, and <laughs> it's horribly difficult. You're lucky I got a Wi-Fi name at all. What's another one, Robbie? Uh, meat is murder. Ooh. Garnered the response from a neighbor. Meat is delicious! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! <laughs> the BBC really fight. should have should have asked before they used our my yeah. Did they, internet they router must have name. Been on they, BYU camp. They didn't ask me for that. <laughs> Which one's yours? <laughs> the meat is delicious. Yours would be bacon. <laughs> bacon is yummy. <laughs> um, other names that uh, I guess there's a company called Open Signal Maps that maintains a wide database of Wi-Fi network names, and other ones on the list include Stop Slamming the Door. Stop wearing heels. Shut up. Stop running. Stop wow. shouting. Get off my back, you jerk. Um, it's so. I this is a new tool to take advantage of. I live around a lot of singles. You know, I'd be like, name it. Uh, hey, ladies. Hey. <laughs> Want a date? Give me a call. My favorite thing from that list, though, is drop it like it's a hot spot. I think that is a pretty <laughs> clever. Oh my gosh! And that's so oh, funny. I found it. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's Wi-Fi. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, that's a guilt trip built into yeah. it. So. Yeah, because what if you actually were coveting someone's Wi-Fi? Exactly. At least, at least you'll feel. Um, if they got uh, one of those killer connections, they got like seven or eight uh, megabits a second. Finally, watch YouTube without it buffering. Yeah, I covet my neighbor's Wi-Fi. I, I remember when that. Wi-Fi first came out, and I didn't know what it was, and I was at a restaurant, and it said free Wi-Fi. I thought it was like a free sample. Oh, can I get a sample of Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can I get the Wi-Fi? <laughs> oh, that's so really? I might have called it Wi-Fi or something. Can I get the Wi-Fi? <laughs> I can I get a double serving of the Wi-Fi, please? That is pretty great. Uh, what if I told you that your pillow is a lot like your toilet seat? Mm. Microbially speaking. Mm. Hmm? I don't. I don't often drool on the toilet seat. Don't you? I don't. What That's do you not do a common all day? Thing. I you know. Do you my, drool a lot on your pillow? Uh, if I sleep face down, it's it's a war it's zone. Inevitable. Okay. <laughs> if I sleep on my back, no problem. Face down. A lot of humidity when you over. sleep on your face down. Game over. That's kind of sad. <laughs> that just grows. That just grows Rob out. Sorry. Apparently, it is. It's like. You know, I don't know if you know this, but inhabiting the in the world, every cubic meter of air has about 10 million cells of bacteria. So this is your old dead skin. This is your old, this is drool, uh, hardened drool that's turned to drool dust. Yeah, evaporated drool. It's... Evaporated oh, drool dust. And it's all swirling around us. We're constantly walking through this microbial soup. Okay, so this isn't new, right? You've all known that. But an ecologist and a microbiologist has been studying it and finding out that there's correlations between, um, for example, your pillow and your toilet seat have basically the exact same microbial no no yeah no yeah yeah well yeah. what okay yeah. i'm one of those people though i buy the the little zip liner for the pillow and then the pillowcase on top of it and you wash them both yeah. and you replace the pillow every yeah. five years because but, i'm trying to prevent this kind of thing but you walk happening. out in the soup right and the soup just slowly drips on you all day and then you bring that party home mm. and then you you might wash your face 
And then you just put your rag down, your wash rag down next to your toothbrush. Time to soak that pillow in some Lysol right before right. I go to bed. And then if you're if you're Bryce, you don't you brush your teeth, but it doesn't matter because you drool so much. It's it's coming in. You can't get away from it. So I guess, by the way, even worse than that might actually be your shower head. Your shower head, they believe, in some of these studies, residential shower heads have raised serious concerns that they may act as delivery vehicles for bacteria that cause pulmonary oh, disease. I believe it. That is See, this is why I don't scary. care anymore. So how often do I need to change my pillow out and change my shower head out? To- All I would do is I would just Every I would day? just I would just <laughs> use your pillowcase, put it on your toilet seat, you're good to go. No. Yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same. <laughs> Sorry to be direct, but I'm just going to try to save all of our listeners some time. You don't need both. Okay? They, you don't need both. Yeah, of course, totally not. Especially if you're drooling a lot, Bryce. Make the toilet seat a lot comfortable. Oh, you <laughs> cold cuz it's going to start getting cold. Okay, well, moving on. Yeah, we're talking about being healthy, <laughs> you know, germs yes. and all that stuff. So apparently the magic number for how many servings of produce you need is seven. Well, that, I think seven's the magic number for anything. It's so true. Seven lucky number, everything like that. But you just need seven per day, though. Seven but, vegetables or fruits. That's uh, a real combined, commitment. Combined. That's, okay, like, does a hostess pie count? <laughs> No. Is that a serving? But like, when that's I, a serving. It is. A, it's a fruit. Uh, yeah. About, uh, seven carrot sticks. Definitely no. I <sighs> mean, when I was kind of thinking about this, I was like, hmm, I do not eat very healthy. Like, I try to be, but I think it's a good day, you know, when I get like two fruits in, you know, two servings of fruit. I'm like, yeah, I got two servings of fruit. Okay, you can get a vegetable. A fries, boom, done. Every day. <laughs> Done. Oh, wait. Hostess potato. pie. Potato, done. potato counts? Oh, sure. Oh, I, I'm done. That's I've a, got my seven servings. <laughs> you eat a lot of potatoes. So really seven. Is there any yeah. reason why seven or is it just because that's the lucky number? Uh, of course it's just the lucky number. Um, I don't know. It just said that that's like the statistic that any more, you know, doesn't do as much, but less there is a significant. So it kind of plateaus out at seven and okay, so it's just good physical health and good mental health. Seven. That's what I always answer. So if I don't have an answer, my kids like ask me a question. Dad, how many yards in, a, in an acre? Seven. Seven's always my answer. Always. So now that's always my answer on food. How much food do I need to eat? Seven. Seven, seven what? Seven, seven, seven food units. How many car <laughs> garage do you have on our house? Seven. Um, How many wives do you have? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, 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 no. oh, I'm just teasing. I just got sick. Um, okay, here's one. If you had to pick old or young employees, older or young, would you want a young 20-something buck just ready to rock and roll right out of school, fresh, strong. No, because you'll hire them, and within three years, they'll leave and break your heart. Okay, or would you rather have an older person, maybe 50s, mid-50s, you know, push into 57? No, because they're going to cost a fortune in health benefits. Yeah, ooh, so you take, you take someone in between. Now, listen to this, because this will blow your minds. And for all you listeners that are a little older, older than 50, let's just say you rock. Okay, you are the gold mine. Older workers are better than younger workers, according, uh, uh, especially when it's we're talking about um, creativity. 
Interesting. Boom. Are you ready? Study comes out of the University of Haifa in Israel. It shows that managers demonstrate their highest levels of professional vitality in their 50s and that older managers are, that are in their 50s are higher in professional vitality. Isn't that nice? 57 is the optimal age. No, like that makes sense because you have all that experience, you know how to deal with people, etc. But you've been what, through four depression, you've been through four <laughs> recessions, you've been you've seen it all. Yeah, but what I think is interesting is the creativity because normally they look for younger kids to be like, "Oh, here you have yeah, a great no. idea. You have this new take on life." But that's so I thought that's cool. This stu- this story was in the USA Today and the author um Andrea Kay says that these older people are the ones who are built, who have built businesses that have survived four recessions. They've learned how to change with the times and are making money, creating jobs, and keeping the economy going today. Plus, after they've been fired five or six times over the course of the career, they're not afraid of that anymore. So then they just <laughs> go to work and do their job. So the, they're not uh, worried about what the boss thinks. So what are you going to do? Fire me? I'm 57 years old. For <laughs> but at age 57, that's the highest point. And after that, they start to fade off uh, and they basically drop down to the same level of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. <laughs> I love that. I feel like I was just subtly uh, offended, insulted. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you were directing. <laughs> that I was at totally us. directing. Just that a thought. Well, you just a thought. I'm not 20 yet, no, so you just I don't date take offense. Older men, but <laughs> oh and I mean that in the most the best way possible. That <laughs> you, you're dating 57 year olds. That's how. What, how many weeks has it been? Like three. <sighs> I'm sorry, but that was funny. I just had to get that out. You don't. You just. It was just that one time. Right. Uh, Skyler put his face in his hands. I know that. Was, oh, you embarrassed, Sky. No, he sympathizes. No, I just think me. it's hilarious. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing. Oh my gosh! So you guys, that's why they have older people here. See, that's why they have me on the show with all of you. Yeah, you kind of are getting up there, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> no, I would just like to point out, you're closer in age to my sister than to my parents. So old, I don't know if that's. Really I'm not old. I'm 43. You're, that's young. You're definitely closer to my parents Who than my sister. <laughs> You're all pointing they everywhere pointed else. At each other. You both whistled. That, oh, that is rude. See, that was awesome. By the way, our boss is would meet this criteria. I, I our think boss he's boss. he's pretty close to the uh, sweet spot age. I we know. say it was about fifty-seven. Uh huh. Yeah. See, we're there. We. This is true, you guys. Just always remember your elders. We rock. We are better than you. Well, if there's any sympathy I get out of it, it's that as long as I don't do something stupid out on the freeway, I'll make it to 57 at some You'll point, You'll probably too. make it. You will. Sky won't if he keeps messing with my papers. <laughs> but that's all right, because he's a good man. I feel like the bacon's going to get me in the end. I think the bacon, yeah, is totally In the end being 53? Or <laughs> yeah. It better be. Let's, let's 37. You're going <laughs> to die to bacon, not because you're not creative in your job. So people, you know, well, that's fun. Uh, that's the news. The good, the bad, the ugly. Pretty fun little bit there. When we come back, though, we're going to be getting into our topic. We're going to have a bit from BT, Bryce Tobin, who's going to inform us a little bit more about life. And we're also going to start, um, you know, preparing to hear from our great guest today, uh, Roger Dean Duncan, who's an author and is going to help us understand leadership and how to be healthier and handle change in our environment a little bit better. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
As the demand for worldwide energy increases, so does the need for technologies to fulfill those energy needs. One company is going deep below the ocean blue to find a solution. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Energy demand across the globe is huge, and resources like oil and natural gas can have harmful effects on our planet. That's why many scientists are looking at ways to harness greener energy sources as we look toward the future. A Swedish company, Monesto, is diving into the challenge by developing the deep green underwater kite. The prototype kite consists of a wing with a turbine and a generator attached to the seabed by a tether. The ocean current flows past the turbine, spinning the generator to create electricity. As the kite glides with the tide, the electricity is then transmitted onshore through a power cable inside the tether. Seawater, being 800 times denser than air, can potentially generate much more energy than wind turbines, and the motion of the kite moving through the sea intensifies the power of the ocean current, so the device can work effectively even in slower water. The kites promise low weight and low cost, adding to their energy efficiency. That makes the idea a serious contender for sustainable, renewable energy. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Travel the musical road of American history on Highway 89 Scenic Byway. With music from talented musicians from BYU campus and across the globe, Highway 89 brings you the best performances from classical to jazz and folk to rock. Tune in for a musical journey with Highway 89 at 10 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about change. How do you survive in this changing world, especially in your business, in your work setting? Uh, you know, how do you make it through this crazy thing we call this business life, the world, our recession that's hitting, or whatever we're calling that, the dip? Uh, that's what that's what Skylar called me today, a dip. And um, we're trying to figure out how do you actually kind of maneuver your way through this. It was really interesting. Last week, I went to a workshop that was being held by a company where I used to work. And it was fun because I worked there, what was it, 10 years ago now. And things have changed a lot in how they handle things, how they do the, do their business there. It was fascinating, though, because I saw old friends there, old people and there's just some killer guys that haven't changed. They're great, but they've been able to move her through life, and they're still viable, wonderful people there. <laughs> so it kind of got us into this idea that we got to make it through change, but you know, sometimes change is hard in corporations where people don't change very often. So we put together – we actually found a list. Rob went out on the interweb and found a list. Well, sometimes you're not even trying to survive the change. You're just trying to survive the present. Life, yeah. Just get through coworkers this. coworkers that just drive you crazy. Right. So. Um, top 10 things that can absolutely drive you bonkers. Number one. Is this at work? Yeah, at work. Because things drive me bonkers all the time. Yeah, we could do a top 50 of road rage, but. <laughs> let's, let's not do those. Seeing other people, coworkers who just don't seem to be pulling the weight. Yeah. You know, you walk in on somebody and they're 
playing solitaire. And you go, did he just point to me again? On. Yes, he did. This guy just pointed to me. Oh, my word. I'm going to make your life so difficult. Because in about six, five and a half minutes, we're supposed to end this segment. Let's see if we do. Because I'm not going to. Are you going to push By Wednesday of next week, Sky will have evolved this into the Skyler show. <laughs> it's part of his grand plan. I would love to hear the monologue. That would be great. Okay, what are, the, what are some of the problems that people see? Having a manager who keeps changing their mind on what they want you to do. Yeah. Who does that? Um, I don't do that. The first radio station I worked at kind of was that way a little Just bit. Just constantly changing the deal. Yeah, he says, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do all this great stuff." Country, we're gonna do country. And oh, then he did huh. change his mind and news. Good news is he, he wouldn't get mad when I didn't know what to do. Well, the neat thing about changing <laughs> like that is that how can you ever be held accountable to anything if you're constantly changing? <laughs> Don't worry, they always do hold you accountable. Darn it! <laughs> you would hope that would help you out. <laughs> You'd think so, huh? Another is lack of support from a manager while simultaneously feeling pressure from a manager. To get the job done. So they're not there supporting you and that the manager's not there, but they're adding pressure. Like, here's the job done, but they're not giving you the resources you need. Yeah, kind of, again, the first radio station I worked for, little tiny AM station, um, he said, how would you like to tape a commercial? And I thought, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Get so I done. thought I was hanging around trying to hurry and beat yeah. this deadline to tape a commercial. And then I found out, oh, well, you're not getting paid for that. This is mentorship experience. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like mentoring, cool. That's cool. cool. I mean, Cash I was, better. And then you did it, it a commercial. and they didn't I, want it because you didn't do it right or whatever. Yeah. Mm. No, they used it, but that's what you get when you're a 1,000-watt radio station, <laughs> you know. Um, interruptions from colleagues. Every day. I get that one all the time. I love interruptions from colleagues, actually, because I'm, I'm so ADD. Do you I, really? I love, yeah, I actually do. It's Because it's, you're, you're zoned in your monitor, and yeah, the job needs to get done. Now, there are times, for instance, if somebody's interrupting me two minutes before the show starts. Yeah. And we're trying to get some What if you're taking a nap done? and they're interrupting you? That's just rude of oh, them. Oh, that's the worst part. I mean, part. can a guy not sleep at work without everybody getting on their Nobody back? should interrupt corporate nap time. <laughs> it's called, it's NAP, Next Appointment Preparation. That's what it is. <laughs> I, but I just do it with my eyes closed. See, people think you're productive with your eyes open. No. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Right? I'm visioning. Visioning. For it's, me, it's when I get here. People like pounce and share and tell me things and give things for me to do. I am notorious for not signing into work because I like get to my area and then people suddenly just toss stuff at me. They just start throwing it to you. And so then five hours later, I realize, oh, I haven't even signed in. And then and that's free time. Mad. I thought you were working for free. Yeah, that's what they thought. That's what they <laughs> hoped. But that sounds common, actually. But ranking slightly higher is interruptions by managers. Yes. And that goes beyond just bugging you at your desk. Oh, yeah. There are meetings, and, and you think about the NBC show The Office. Yeah, that's my conference room, 10 minutes. <laughs> but that's pretty common. There, well, there used to be an initiative called uh, Management by Walk Around, right? So the manager would walk around, and the goal was to connect with his people. That's how he'd gather the data. And yet, that, that probably could have been a was, problem. Was there an immediate explosion in micromanagement around the same time? Yes, there was. An immediate death of employees because of stress and interruptions. It's always nice to have someone looking over your shoulder. It's, totally not stressful. It's always better. But the manager was there to just gather data. How are we doing? To say, hey, buddy, what's up? How are your kids? You know, that's what I try to do with you guys. Yeah. I manage by sitting here and then you just walk around. Well, we don't have any kids, so you're not quite doing your job. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know that I want to tell you to go have kids or anything, but just, no, just get married. Well, speaking of uh, Skyler and Matt, bullying behavior from managers and colleagues. Yes, you wuss. <laughs> Punk. See that? You started this. All I did was try to be your friend. I came into work today, and you started talking to me by saying that I was every single one of those points on the list. Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. And you started listing them off. Yeah. Said I was a bully. Yeah, I meant it. Said I caused stress. Well, I was just trying to help. I didn't help it. hurt my self-esteem. I'm sorry. You're so weak that way. (laughs) See this? That was a great role play. (laughs) Role play by Sky and Matt. It's, you know... Bully. We try to make the advice on this show as practical as possible. We try to give you tools to to know when you're being bullied, like that example right there. Right, Sky? Correct. Okay, that's what, would Matt Matt not do. <laughs> what would Matt and not finally, do? And finally, lack of support from colleagues. Yes, I feel that one regularly. Mainly with my technical director. <laughs> what do we call him over there? My board, board op. op. My board, B O. R-E-D. You know, Matt, I could turn off your mic at any point here. Well, that's an old secret of the radio business, Matt, is that it is a board op. He is bored. It's kind of like board. being an air traffic controller, except a little less stressed because nobody's going to die if you make a mistake. But most of the time, you're sitting there in your own world or yeah. just thinking and pondering stuff. He's listening and, to music all the time. And then you just listen for cues like, well, coming up after the break, we'll Ooh, tell you focus. about And then, and then you know, it's focus, time to focus exactly. and pay attention. Yeah. See, okay, these are good. You're a good man, Sky. Thanks, Matt. Well, let's just get to the break, and then I'll fix you when we're off air. Uh, There's the idea. When we come back, we're going to be meeting with Roger Dean Duncan. He's going to give us some ideas. See, Skyler just perked up. Oh, well, now he said that. Yeah, now he's like, I better get serious here. Uh, he, Dr. Uh, Roger Dean Duncan is going to help us with his new book, Change Friendly Leadership, How to Transform Good Intentions into Great Performance. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We all know that managing our work and personal lives can be a difficult balancing act, as well as keeping track of our health and general well-being. Well, that's why Matt Townsend, life coach and counselor, is here to help. Join Matt for guidance and advice on how to maintain happy and healthy relationships by tuning into The Matt Townsend Show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. At least seven people were killed today in Lebanon as fighting in Beirut and the coastal Tripoli continued to expand between local factions, supporting opposite sides in the neighboring Syrian conflict. The Lebanese army has promised to intervene sharply into the small conflicts, but the fighting has spiked concerns that the Syrian civil war is going to spill into the neighboring countries and potentially the whole region. Last week, when a top Lebanese When a top Lebanese security official who was opposed to the Assad regime was assassinated, local religious groups polarized against one another, which is what seems to have sparked the continued violence this week. Military commanders have urged all political leaders to be cautious with their statements so as not to make the situation any worse. 
Mediators in the now 19-month-old Syrian conflict have been trying to get both the Assad regime and the rebel leaders to agree to a three-day ceasefire to observe a Muslim holiday. But neither side seems to be taking the idea seriously. The holiday begins this Friday, and the idea of a ceasefire has won support from world powers supporting both sides of the conflict, including Iran and Russia. Despite the support, prominent rebel leaders have said that they see no way to enforce a ceasefire and thus will be unlikely to participate. Neither side has shown signs of letting up so far, as 200 more people, including 60 Assad regime troops, were killed today in the conflict, which has already taken over 30,000 lives. A former member of the Florida A&M marching band has received a sentence in connection with the hazing death of Robert Champion last year. Brian Jones was sentenced to six months of house arrest and two years of probation, along with 200 hours of community service. Jones pled no contest to the assault charges, facing 12 former members of the band who are accused of taking part in the hazing ritual. Champion's parents were present at the sentencing hearing, and his mom addressed Jones directly, claiming he was living under a delusion of innocence and stating that her son's death would always haunt him. A recent survey has shown that many U.S. Catholics are more interested in their church putting more effort into helping the poor and homeless than focusing on anti-abortion laws. The 2012 American Values Survey showed 60 percent of Catholics want to see more focus on social justice issues over anti-abortion initiatives, while just 31 percent felt the opposite. One co-author of the report says that these findings show that there is no so-called Catholic vote and that members of the church vary greatly in their political opinions. U.S. Catholic bishops have been very vocal recently about the church's stance against abortion and birth control because of the controversy surrounding the Obama administration's new health care laws that originally would have forced all employers to include birth control as part of health insurance plans. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, and what we're talking about today is a a very common topic, I believe, Um, How do you handle change? How do you make sure that you stay ahead of the game? How do you keep your value up, your quality up when you're with an organization so that you're not the one they're looking at getting rid of, whether you're the manager or the employee? How do we do that? And um, we're going to be bringing on an expert to help us with that in a minute. But before we do, maybe we just might be overcomplicating things. Our producer, Bryce Tobin, seems to think so. And he has some thoughts that he would just love to share with us. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Skills? Who needs skills? Look, if you want to be successful, there's only one skill you need. And it's really the only skill there is. It's just plain and simple working hard. You know, burning the candle at both ends. Firing on all cylinders. Working your fingers to the bone. Keeping your nose to the grindstone. If you want to be more valuable, just work more. You may sometimes sit there at work thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. Big mistake, pal. You've made two critical missteps right there. You've taken your focus off of work, so there's no way you're working hard right now. The other is that you're starting down the path into what I call the don't work hard, work smart fallacy. 
And through these experiments, which these are really just justifications for wasting your time, these never turn out well, and they always waste time that could have been better spent droning on in your job. You might start talking to your boss about it. So not only have you stopped working hard, but you've stopped your boss from working hard. Then your boss will either have to stop all of your out-of-the-box thinking, or you'll wrap your boss up into this mess and get their hopes up. You're just causing everyone grief. Remember that old saying, the nail that sticks out the most is the first to be hammered down? Yeah, this is what getting your boss's attention can do. Just fly under the radar at all times. It's safer here under the radar. So you might sit there and think, Well, I can get more done if I have a partner. After all, we'll have more people to do more things, right? Wrong. It's just like with your boss. When you try to collaborate, you're just wasting a bunch of time. You run into this problem called wheel spinning. It's like when you hit the accelerator really hard in a car that has some muscle. The engine goes nuts, everything engages, and things are running smoothly until you realize, oh, my wheels are just spinning and I've gone absolutely nowhere. This is where you have meeting after meeting and you feel like you accomplish a lot. But where the rubber hits the road, you just keep making decisions and coming to conclusions and then making more decisions and then coming to more conclusions, but you don't actually do anything. So just remember, when it comes to group work, one of us is not nearly as dumb as all of us. So just put your head down, get to work, and don't do much thinking. Above all, a mindless worker is a happy worker. So just be quiet and do your job. Do this and nothing will ever happen. I I mean, nothing bad will ever happen. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Thank you, BT, Bryce Tobin, for his whimsical look at just doing more now, half the time, I don't know if I should take that serious. Are you serious about all that? I'm always serious, Matt. Always, every time. Because it's, I guess it is just putting your head down and working. Well, you can't go wrong doing that, but... Unless you're working wrong. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. See that? I mean, there's got to be something to all these other things. Like, you've also got to work well with people. You do. If you don't work well with people, this whole teamwork thing, this whole, you know, having coworkers, yeah. it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Near impossible. I like just that you sell it. You you say it like it matters and that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and even if you're not, you don't you're like You can't convince me of that. No. But I it's really good. So what I'm thinking we ought to do is let's bring on the good doctor. Let's bring on somebody that's studied this for years, that has degrees in all of this, that, um, you know, I'm sure he'll agree with part of what you say. you got to work hard. There might be a little truth in there. I don't know. I'm sure there's truth. It's just, you know, it sounds crazy. So we're going to bring on Dr. Uh, Roger Dean Duncan, who is a Ph.D. from Purdue University. He was a graduate from Brigham Young University. He's been consulting businesses, executives. He's an executive coach as well. Uh, His first client was the executive office of the President of the United States. I've heard of that. This guy is legit. He's he uh, he's been on a bunch of boards. He's um, one of his early corporate clients was Campbell Soup Company, which in 1978 hired him to run its worldwide communications operations. Former BYU faculty member as well. Father of three grown daughters and one son. He has 11 grandchildren. And on top of it all, he's written the book to, um, that's called Change-Friendly Leadership, How to Transform Good Intentions into Great Performance. Dr. Roger Dean Duncan, are you with us, doctor? I'm right here. Nice to talk with you, Matt. Good to talk with you. Well, now, did you hear that whole little uh, bit there put together by Bryce, our producer? 
Oh, I did, and and uh, I found it uh, very amusing, very interesting. And what's amusing about it is that I hear a lot of people in the workplace actually say that, and they're not trying to be funny. <laughs> they're, trying, they're, they're trying to be serious. See, he's he's reading so, the people right. So, so I hear some of that. I call that high testosterone sloganeering. Ooh, <laughs> I like you that. You just hit Bryce right on the head. I like yeah, that phrase. Th- there you go. High testosterone sloganeering. There are a lot of people out there who get paid a lot of money for that. Oh, uh, for the sure. Problem, the problem with it is that they typically don't have very much success in their organizations. Now, why, can't, why lot- can't you just put your head down? It seems so easy. Just put your head down, get out of everyone's way, work hard, and just because you're amazing, everyone will notice. Well... <laughs> Uh, they may notice you, but uh, you can stay under the radar. I heard yeah. the term stay under the radar. You can stay under the radar only so long. Sooner or later, people are going to find you out. And I'll tell you that my experience and observation over the past 40 years is that staying under the radar is really not fun anyway. Yeah, uh, you're not offering you, right? You're kind of just no, hiding. No, you're not. You're not. Uh, in fact, it, it, it often takes more effort, more energy to stay under the radar than it does to really get serious work done. Right. And when I when when people discover that and discover that okay an occasional risk uh is worth taking and I can make a contribution here and I can become more engaged they discover that work can really be fun. And I'm from the school of thought that says that work really should be fun. Now that that doesn't mean that we should uh Sit around throwing water balloons in the office all day long. Right. Uh, although there, you know, in some in some operations there may be a place for that. But what I'm saying is that people need to be appropriately engaged with their heads, hearts, and hopes in their work. Mm-hmm. When they're engaged that way, uh, they get much more out of their work. The enterprise gets much more benefit from their ingenuity. People are happier, etc. It makes all the difference. Working hard is great. I'm all for working. Right. Uh, I think that needs to be coupled with working smart. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and engagement. I mean, that's the hard thing. I just look at that, uh, the idea that you just put your head down and work. But if you've got 35 years, you're going to have to be working. Boy, that's a long time to just put your head down and make widgets. Well, it is. And and sometimes people talk about, in an organization, they talk about 30 years of experience. When If you look at it really closely, it's often two years of experience 15 times. <laughs> because a, yeah. they, really haven't, they haven't really learned anything new. They're just putting in time. And frankly, one of the saddest things that you can hear is someone, and I've heard this many times, they'll say, you know, I've been here 19 years, uh, only one more year, and my pension is vested, and I'm out of here. Ugh. And I and I think, how sad that must be. Right. Because when you think about it, and this is kind of a scary thought, but our spouses remind us of this, we spend most of our waking hours in life at work. So doesn't it make sense that we should do what we can to create and maintain an environment where we enjoy our work, where mm. we where we really do find joy and bring joy to others. And I don't think that's Pollyanna. No. I think it's good. I think it's good business. Well, it's longevity, right? It's something you can that you can keep doing. And sure. it, I mean, for all we know, we won't be able to retire. You know, well, my age, true. you're just going to have to keep plucking away. And so, well, and some of us enjoy our work so much we don't want to. Yeah, retire. Can you, I, I can't I imagine it. 
I could have retired years ago, but yeah. I, I, I can't imagine doing that. I love my work. I heard a guy say recently, he said, uh, uh, he said, I'm still working. He's in his 70s. He said, I'm still working, and my parents made it possible with his good gene pool, mm. and my children and the government made it necessary. <laughs> That's perfect. So, you know? so you got, you, you've got no choice. The bad part yeah. would be if your parents gave you bad genes. Oh, then, yeah. Then you'd really yeah. be in for it. I guess, you, no, I guess you're out no of the deal way. anyway. Yeah, right. Well, it's a big problem, and as we, uh, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to really dive into it. I know you've written a book on you know, how to create change-friendly leadership, and I, I would love you to really kind of focus on both sides of it. So as an employee, what makes you know, kind of an, a, a change-friendly employee and okay. a change-friendly leader? And um, see if we can't – we're going to have two you know, breaks with you. We're going to end up having about 28 minutes-ish for you, Dr. Uh, D- Duncan, to educate us and inform us. So, so appreciate I can hardly wait to hear what I have to say. I know. Me too. It'll be so <laughs> exciting for all of us. Well, we'll come back after this break. Dr. Roger Dean Duncan, you can get um, any of his information. At his website, doctor, spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, Duncan.com. Go check out the website. Check out his new book. We'll be back giving you the clues, the keys to making sure that you're a change-friendly employee and a change-friendly leader. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Today, disaster relief workers around the world are on the ball, coordinating rescue and response efforts, even when traditional communication systems have been knocked offline. This is Innovation Now. When catastrophe strikes, it's vital to have communication systems that can be set up quickly to connect to the outside world. Traditional satellite communication systems use heavy, rigid antennas that can take hours to transport, unpack, bolt together, and get online. Gator Technologies has developed a line of ultra-portable satellite communication systems that perform as well as rigid dishes. The lightweight systems are quick and easy to set up. You just inflate the antenna with air, set it, and point it to the satellite. Typical users are online within 30 minutes of deploying the units. The inflated antenna looks like a giant beach ball. It's made from a tough, flexible fabric and is held to the ground by plates and cables. Air pressure shapes a flexible, reflective fabric mesh dish inside the ball to a precise shape. And to pack the deflated dish up, you just roll it up like a sleeping bag. Gator Technologies used antenna test range facilities at NASA Glenn Research Center to refine the systems. And today, Inflatable SATCOM units are supporting disaster relief efforts around the world. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Start your day right with Marcus Smith and the morning team. We're going to talk about um, just stuff, you know, lots of st- things that show up that, that once we're in your home and they go to somebody else's home and how do they get there? Maybe by way of a thrift store. Join in for conversation on current topics and events from around BYU campus and the world and get your morning talking. Tune into the morning show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about job security, really. How do you uh, make it through life in your job and make sure that you're an asset to the company, not some liability? We're really talking about how to be a change-friendly employee and a change-friendly leader, one that can manage the change, handle the change, and uh, lead through the change, because I have a prediction. Now, I might be going out on a limb here, but I'm going to bet change is going to be constant. And when I said that, you should have seen Sky's face. It was just enlightenment. It's me enlightening my board op. That was that was deep, man. Did you feel that? Yeah, I felt that one. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help. Uh, so we've got on the line with us Dr. Roger Dean Duncan, who's been a consultant since 1972. He's consulted with everybody from the executive office of the President of the United States to Campbell's Soup Company. He's been a faculty member here at Brigham Young University. He's currently um, an author of the book Change Friendly Leadership. How to Transform Good Intentions into Great Performance. Dr. Duncan, welcome back to the show. Thank you. You bet. Now, as, uh, as we kind of get into this, you know, change is constant. It's not going away. Um, and it seems like it's actually happening more. <laughs> Maybe this technology thing's enhancing, I don't know, vitalizing change. But how are we supposed to approach it as an employee, as a leader? How do we manage this constantly changing world and still seem productive and be productive well you're you're right that change is not only constant it's always going to be with us and i believe it is happening faster than it used to you sense and that techn- yeah. oh absolutely and technology is a big part of that somebody said that uh, change is happening so fast now that the future is already or excuse me the present is already disappearing by the time we notice it <laughs> Yeah, it's and in a rearview mirror. That's interesting. Well, yeah, and that's not that's not just in terms of the latest iPod or iPad. Right. I mean, that's in terms of of all sorts of things. So, people struggle with change, and I think one of the big reasons people struggle with change is because it brings about stress, and yeah. people resist stress. We run from I, it. I, yeah, I don't know that we uh, resist change per se. I think it's the stress that change brings. In fact, even happy change can be stressful. Just ask anybody who's ever planned a wedding. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so uh, that's what we resist. Yeah, I think um, you're right. It's it's actual, and that's like, it's, I guess the stress is from not knowing. The stress is from not feeling adequate, I guess, from being tested. The stress is, is uh, having to abandon our current comfort zone and replace it with another. Yeah. The stress is about making that transition from something we know to something that is uh, less known. Mm. Uh, so even if we're moving to a new neighborhood or changing jobs and we and we want to change a job for whatever reason, mm-hmm. there's still a certain amount of stress involved. Uh, but we can create an environment where the change is friendly toward us, we are friendly toward the change, and we are part of bringing about positive change rather than being a victim to somebody else's change. I love that. And, and that kind of orientation, frankly, if we're an employee, makes us more valuable to the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell my clients that the second most expensive thing that can happen in your organization is when your best and brightest people quit and leave. Now, that's very expensive, but it's only the second most expensive. The most expensive thing is when your best and brightest people quit and stay. 
Oh. Uh, yeah. Because they're not engaged. Uh, yeah. Some of them are what I'd call road warriors. Presenteeism, yeah. Yeah, re- retired on active duty. <laughs> and they, they show up, they get paid, they attend the meetings, uh, but they're really not contributing in the way that they could or should. Yeah. Now, that's not only detrimental to the organization, that is a horrible way to live, it seems to me. So if somebody's driving home today, they may be one of those road warriors. They may be there going to work every day, know they've got four more years before they can retire. Right. And they're just filling a space. Uh, and so what should they be doing? Because you're say, like, like you say, it's, it's not a healthy place to be. Well, it's not at all. Uh, a number of things. In, in my book, as you alluded to earlier, I, I talk about what I call the four T's. And I'll, I'll tee this up, no pun intended here. Uh, about 35, 40 years ago, I wrote an article for a national magazine. I interviewed more than 20 prominent Americans, and I asked all of them a single question, only one question. What's the mark of an educated person? And many of the respondents went to great lengths emphasizing behaviors and relationships. Not a single one of them mentioned degrees or certificates. And these were people who you know, were very well known. I, I interviewed Norman Rockwell, the artist. I interviewed Margaret Mead, the anthropologist. I mean, these were, these were good thinkers. Not a single one said anything about degrees or certificates. Uh, what they talked about was about behaviors and relationships in place of titles and stature. Oh, I love and that. That's, that's the foundation of this change-friendly leadership framework that I use, and I've used it for about 40 years. And the four T's are think-friendly, talk-friendly, trust-friendly, and team-friendly. And I'll tell you a little bit about think-friendly first. Yeah. Um, some some of the, your listeners may recognize the name of Arthur Fry, uh, but there's a better than average chance that uh, we've all benefited from his ingenuity. Art was a scientist at the 3M company many years ago, and he and one of his co-workers developed uh, or mixed this batch of adhesive with an unusual molecular, molecular structure. Say it fast five times. Um <laughs> And this yielded a glue that was strong enough to cling to objects, but it was forgiving enough to peel off without doing any harm. Hmm. Nobody at 3M had figured out a way to use this, what I call sticky but not too sticky substance. The tweener glue. Yeah, Yeah, they started to throw it away. Well, Art sang in his um, church choir, and he noticed that a lot of his fellow choir members would insert little handwritten notes into their sheet music to remind them of, uh, you know, how to do a certain part of the music, but these notes would fall out. And then he had this idea. I wonder if I could use that batch of adhesive that we're about to throw out. So he spread it on a bunch of paper and cut it up into little tiny pieces and Mm. gave it to his choir friends, and they used them. And, well, long story short, this was the precursor to one of the biggest... um, products in 3M history, the post-it note. Now, here was a guy who was think-friendly. He was willing to, and this is a cliche, think outside the box. In fact, he later said, I don't even think there is a box. (laughs) 
and uh, I, I believe mindset matters. Yeah, and it's not—it's not just about playing games with yourself. It's about realizing that we all have God-given gifts, and most of us don't realize how many gifts we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we buy into somebody else's view that we are limited in some way, and that can really hamstring us. I'm thinking of my own son, who's 40 years old now, but when he was in the fourth or fifth grade, we went to school for the parent-teacher night, and we're visiting with his teachers, and one of his teachers said, you know, your son is a wonderful young man, he's so polite, but I don't really think he's going to be able to handle the work and uh, you know, I'm I'm not really going to push him too hard. And well, you know, like most parents, we thought our we thought our son was really bright. And we said, well, you know, we think he's bored. Give him more work. She said, oh no, I don't want to frustrate him. So she would not give him more work. Oh, man. All of his uh, all of his other teachers, he had five teachers. All of his other teachers gave him more work. He started making straight A's in their class and still struggled with this teacher. Wow. Well, since that time, our son made nearly all A's as an undergraduate. He made straight A's in his MBA program. He um, speaks six languages and is a diplomat with the U.S. Foreign Service. Hmm. I, I think he snapped out of it. Yeah, I think he got it. Yeah. Sounds like an underachiever it. to me. Yeah. Well, but if he had bought in to that mindset right. that he was limited, or if we had... Uh, you know, it, we, we shudder to think where he might be. And I think a lot of people in the workplace, because of their, somehow they equate their value according to their parking place or the size of the lamp on their desk or the title they have, and they limit themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems um, like sometimes the systems themselves, don't they? they I guess the thinking gets systematized in companies where, you know, people are like, well, that's not my job or that's not right. my department. And, and exactly. so it almost dumb, it, it's almost like the system itself starts to dumb us down. Well, there is no doubt about that. In fact, with a lot of organizations, they use this term, we hire the best and the brightest. <laughs> and I believe they really try to do that. Sure. If you talk to their recruiters, they go out to the universities and they have high standards and they really try to hire the best and the brightest. The trouble is, in a lot of organizations, the organizational culture promptly dumbs them down. Totally. And so I tell my clients, look, if you're going to have these cultural characteristics that lead to these unintended consequences, you can save yourself some money and hire the C students. Right. Don't hire the A students. Don't hire the people who've had good internships. Don't hire people who score well on your test. Just you know, hire the, the average people because yeah. that's what you're doing to them. You're going to dishearten them. Yeah, and then they're going to leave they anyway. Will, and the A's, yeah. A's have the ability to leave, I guess. Well, yeah. And one of two, a couple of things will happen. You will either dumb them down and they will get discouraged and disengaged, be disengaged, but they will stay there indefinitely oh, and, and just... not perform at the way that you would like. Or you're running a farm club for your competitor. Exactly. Either way, either way, you lose. Yeah. Oh, I so, love that. That I mean, I so, think that pretty much typifies the the pretty you know prototypical corporate America. We just it's it's a farm. We're running a farm team for a competition. Well, that's true, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can actually engage creative thinking. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and another. Um, 
behavior that, that I talk about is talk-friendly skills. This is about creating an environment where people feel safe and confident in challenging the status quo. Love that one. Can we, Rod, can we come back to that one? We we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want you to get in-depth into the talk-friendly. I mean, if I can engage my company all of a sudden, and I've got this creative thinking, and I know how to engage, it sounds like it's a great combination. We will be back with Dr. Roger Dean Duncan, uh, author of Change-Friendly Leadership, and uh, he'll enlighten us with the rest of the four T's right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Have your team join ours and become a sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For details, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Go Cougars! Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Just ahead of tonight's presidential debate on forest policy, the Obama campaign has released a new ad touting his record on the worldwide stage. The ad speaks to the president's efforts to end the Iraq war and how he has diminished the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. It also goes on to critique Mitt Romney's reaction to those decisions, noting that he wanted to keep 30,000 troops in Iraq and called pulling them out tragic. President Obama's latest ad also states that it's time to stop fighting over there and start rebuilding here. Mitt Romney has called the president's plan to scale back the war in Afghanistan the administration's biggest mistake. U.S. prosecutors are now expanding a probe into New York City's potentially unlawful reduction of pensions paid to veterans. The existing investigation was focusing only on pension pensions policies surrounding retired police officers, but now will expand to potentially look at all retired veteran city worker pension funds. The case began with three police officers filing concerns with their pensions, but the investigators say that since August they have received complaints from vets who retired from multiple other city agencies. The scope of the investigation is expanding, but so far no official word on how much broader it will be has been given. The so-called fiscal fiscal cliff has been a constant pending worry on Capitol Hill, but some congressional leaders are now supporting a new measure that would help the budget to evade some of the looming across-the-board cuts. After the first of next year, $109 billion in cuts are scheduled to go into effect, but the new plan would reduce the amount to a more manageable $55 billion. The interim solution would push back further cuts and deficit reduction later into 2013. This plan does not address the issues of the Bush-era tax cuts coming to an end, which has also been one of the most pressing monetary issues prior to the coming election. Lance Armstrong has now officially been stripped of all seven of his Tour de France championship titles by the International Cycling Union and banned for life from the sport. 
The president of the union, which is Professional Cycling's governing body, said in a statement this morning that Armstrong has no place in the cycling world and deserves to be forgotten. He also outlined that the cycling world will have to start over after facing decades of doping problems from some of the sport's top athletes. Armstrong stopped battling the charges against him earlier this year, stating that he had never failed a doping test and that eventually fighting is no longer worth it when your accusers have already deemed you guilty. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about the tools you need to be able to withstand this changing time, the changing world. While you're at the office, what are the skills? You, you don't have to just sit there and, you know, you know, I don't know what's the word. Slink down, is that the word? Just to the weakest part of you? How about jellify? Is that a good jellify. word? Jellify. You don't have to jellify. You can instead straighten that back. We're talking to Dr. Roger Dean Duncan, who uh, has been giving us four tips, um, four T's that uh, we're calling them. Are they the four? What are, what are they, Dr. Duncan? Are they tips? Are they keys? What are you calling them? They're behaviors. Behavior. Oh, that's right, because of the behaviors that, that matter. And, right. And they're all, they seem to also be core to building relationships that are healthier, too relationships in any venue uh, as a parent as a as a spouse as an employee as a leader any place you're dealing with human beings and the first one was to think creatively uh being able to kind of think out of the box and the right. next one you started talking about was to talk friendly well talk friendly is creating and maintaining an environment where people including yourself are comfortable and competent in challenging the status quo, in speaking up, in talking openly about issues that need to be discussed. And these are behaviors that some of us, uh, in fact, a lot of us, think we have because everybody can talk. Right. But just because you're talking doesn't mean that you're getting where you'd like to get. And this isn't at all about manipulating. Right. Uh, I tell the story that as a young boy, I used to enjoy spending hours with my grandmother working on jigsaw puzzles, and she liked puzzles of outdoor scenes. And these were particularly challenging because the colors and textures right. of nature often merge and all that. And Well, my childish inclination was to try to win at solving <laughs> the puzzles. But when I tried to argue or debate, I missed opportunities for progress. I discovered that my piece of the puzzle that I had was both valid but limited. It wasn't the whole picture. Yeah. And when I became curious and started to inquire about other puzzle pieces, the ones that my the grandmother was looking at, I began to see a fuller picture and was better able to collaborate in solving the problem. Now, when, in, terms of lead, in terms of leader behaviors, some of the most effective leaders I've ever been around, and I've been around a lot of them over the past 40-plus years, are those who not only tolerate feedback, they welcome feedback, they solicit feedback. And when somebody disagrees with them, rather than some knee-jerk reaction of wanting to rebut or overpower or pull rank, 
They might say something like, terrific, you see it differently. Help me understand your perspective. Now, when people realize that they're genuine, they're authentic, they're not playing gotcha, and they really do want to learn, then more and more people are comfortable in challenging them. And then you have smart people helping smart people work smarter. Right. That's probably what makes corporations so difficult, because all of a sudden you might have a new leader coming in, we're going to create new change, and if they're not listening, if if Mm -hmm. they're trying to just force their way without even at least getting buy-in from everyone right. else, it's going to get ugly. Right. Absolutely. It, it will get ugly. And then you know, typically, I mean, we've all seen the cycle. A new leader comes in, and they've, they've got some preconceived notions. They're not really good at listening, and they try to impose their will on people. And some people will succumb. Others will play the game for a while, and then they start peeling off mm-hmm. from the organization. Right. And then the organization has that brain drain where you've got some really smart people who've learned a lot and contributed a lot, and they don't, they're not comfortable there anymore, so they're leaving. Right. Rather than engaging the people. That's great. And I've, seen, I've seen that with leaders. A, a turnaround uh, CEO that I worked with many years ago went into an organization that was hemorrhaging badly in terms of financial things. And rather than impose his will on people, he went in and and uh, was constantly asking questions. And he was a very smart guy. He was not playing gotcha. He mm-hmm. genuinely wanted to know what got the organization in, in its dire straits. He didn't fire people. He didn't bring in new people. He kept the same people. And within 12 months, the turnaround was so profound financially that it became a Harvard Business School case study. Mm. Now, the only thing different, it's a big thing, but the only thing different about this leader was that he engaged his people, and his primary behavior was that he listened with empathy. He really wanted to understand. And when when people sensed that he was genuine and wasn't playing games with them, wasn't mm-hmm. playing gotcha, wasn't trying to corner them, wasn't trying to be the smartest guy, always the smartest guy in the room. He was able to tap the ingenuity of the people who had always been there, unlike the previous leaders who were constantly just ordering people around and people were responding in a robotic way and they were not getting the benefit of people's ingenuity. Yeah, right. So, this is that different. You know, this applies to parenting too. Yeah, right. You know, parenting is on-the-job training. Right. Uh, you know, there's no book it on be, it. I mean, there's a million books, but they don't come with your kid. Well, that's right. That's right. And you know, I, I found that as I was raising my children, I'm like every other parent. I made a lot of mistakes, and, and I learned a lot. But I found that those times when I would look one of my children in the eye, especially during those teenage years, and by the way, I'm happy to say I'm a survivor. <laughs> you I survived? I survived 14 oh, yeah. that's and my, par- my parents survived me, too. But w- some of those times when I was most effective with my children was when I would say something like, you know, I've never been a dad before. This is my first time, mm. and I'm doing the best I can. And let's work, let's work on this together. Well, that actually... I remember... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that sounds like... You're build that. That's nothing more trustworthy than that. I mean, that sounds like it's. Oh. I can trust you because you're being real with me. 
Well, yeah, we need to be vulnerable. We need to be willing to be vulnerable. And somehow in the workplace we have this uh, terrible notion that, you know, if we're the, the boss, we're supposed to know everything. Right. And I'm sorry, that just isn't so. No. I remember uh, the conversation I had with my son the day he turned 16. And I said, well, big 16, yeah, I can remember when I was 16. I started rattling off my experiences, and I looked at his eyes, and they were glazing over. (laughs) It was like, okay, Dad's playing his home movies again. And I stopped myself mid-sentence, and I said, you know, it's been a long time since I was 16. What's it like for you? to be 16 and he had that look in his face like okay dad is this one of those consulting hold on is someone gonna get hurt here that's, that's right. right you go pull out a flip chart or something <laughs> that he i think he sensed that i really wanted to know what's it like for you to be 16 and he opened up his heart and he started telling me started talking to me now we already had a good relationship mm-hmm. but that one conversation i remembered all the as i told you he's 40 years old now yeah. i remember all these years since that time that one conversation, I think, really made a difference. It sounds like everybody because, wants that, too, don't we? I mean, we all want to have our opinion be heard and matter, and we just want someone to ask and then listen. Well, sure. What a and, great and often, trait. And often in the workplace, the smartest person in the room is the newest person in the room. Yeah, right. Now, yes, they're very green, but if they are asking what some folks call naive questions, many of them preceded with the word why, mm-hmm. if the answer is because we've always done it that way or because we said so, you're, you're behind already. Yeah, you're, you, yeah, you, you're, you're in trouble. You're already in a deficit position. I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I didn't feel good about it when somebody said to do something because, because I'm your father. So. That's right. Yeah. I wanted to know why. Mm-hmm. And you know, not in an argumentative way. I wanted to understand why. Yeah. Now you know we have commitment issues. We have um, compliance issues. I do happen to do a lot of work in the nuclear power business. Now you you know you want you want compliance there. Yeah, that's, that's one we really want to get down. That's, down. A, that's a good <laughs> thing. But I was talking not long ago with a senior guy, uh, an engineer at a nuclear station, and uh, I was trying to help him understand that he needed to work with his people so they had commitment. And he said, you know, I don't really care about this soft and warm and fuzzy commitment stuff. I just want him to comply. And I said, well, well, that's important. That's really important. But he, he didn't see the difference. Yeah. And I noticed on the wall or on the shelf behind him, he had pictures of his family. And I said, are those your little boys? He said, yeah. I said, tell me about them. So he slips into dad mode. and He's telling me all about the boys. And I, I said, now, do these little guys... Uh, I said, do you have seatbelt laws in your state? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, these guys use uh, car seats? He said, oh, yeah. We, and I get in the back of the SUV, and we go through this little routine like they're astronauts, and we, you know, check this, check this, check this, and buckle them up. I said, well, that's great. <laughs> Sounds like fun. I said, I guess you do that because you don't want a state trooper to pull you aside and give you a citation. He said, that never occurred to me. I said, well, why do you go to all that trouble? He said, well, because I love my boys. I said, that would be commitment. There you go. You know, you are complying, but for a higher purpose. Not just because somebody told you to, because you care about your boys. So when you start creating an environment in your workplace where people understand why you do certain things, you will be amazed at how much more committed they will become. And also, if you have these open and honest discussions about 
why, you might discover that some of them are doing fake work. That doesn't mean they're deliberately doing it, but some of your policies and procedures have led to a lot of activity that aren't really activities that aren't really adding value. Right. So, you know, there's no downside to open and honest communication. Love it. Call it talk talk friendly behavior. What what are some of the uh, what are the other two T's? We've got about three minutes or so. What so thinking, talking, what are the other two T's? Well, trust friendly and team friendly. Mm. Trust friendly behavior is creating an environment where people trust each other. Now trust seems like one of those well sure things. Duh. Yeah. We're, not, we're not yeah we're not talking about trust in the sense of uh, you you think you can go to lunch without locking your desk drawer right we're talking about trust in the sense of how we deal with each other uh, I talk a lot about trust busters uh, double talk which mm. is very common in the workplace yeah. uh, some people call it spin yeah using euphemisms etc uh, that that is a trust buster right pulling pulling rank is a trust buster. Talking behind uh, your back. Yeah, t- absolutely. Some of the best leaders I know are people who clearly have rank. I mean, a family friend of ours is a uh, former commandant of the United States Marine Corps. Mm. But he was famous for using trust-friendly behavior. He didn't try to pull rank on people. He engaged people. And, you know, some other trust busters are playing favorites or giving flimsy feedback and and uh, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we we can all make a list. That's huge. And then team team friendly behaviors are about uh, creating uh, working relationships with teams uh, that have a compelling purpose, that have a reinforcing framework. Um, you have reward systems, yeah. information systems. That sounds that, like the that, systems re- kind of side, the kind of the leadership. You know, being able to get everybody to think, talk, and trust. Yes, that's where it all starts to come together. Because when you think about it, we add value in our organizations, Uh not so much by virtue of being able to manipulate a spreadsheet or push the right lever or button, but by virtue of how well do we interact with other human beings. And that's what change-friendly leadership is about. And this all goes back to your, I mean, this goes back to that study many years ago, 40 years ago, where it's not about having the Harvard degree. It's it's about your behavior, these behaviors and your relationships that are really going to either produce the fruits of long-term healthy change or not. Right. And I not only give uh, lots of detail on how to do it, I give lots of case studies of real people who have done it successfully. It makes all the difference. That's awesome. We're talking to Dr. Roger Dean Duncan, um, who wrote the book, uh, Change-Friendly Leadership, How to Transform Good Intentions into Great Performance. And you can go to his website at drduncan.com. Doctor is spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R, duncan.com. Um, Dr. Duncan, as we wrap this up, what's the one thing? We always kind of like to end. We have about 30 seconds. What's the one thing that makes that is the biggest thing what's the one thing you'd leave us with a challenge that that really is going to make a difference i would say listening really listening and this requires using your eyes and your heart as well as your ears 
And uh, effective leaders learn to listen, to understand, rather than to rebut and overpower, and they exercise influence rather than authority. Love it. And listen to yourself as well, right? Listen to your heart. Listen to That's right. You know what the world's telling you. There's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on. Appreciate you, Dr. Duncan. Again, if you want more information about Dr. Roger uh, Dean Duncan, you can go to his website, drduncan.com. Pick up his book, Change Friendly Leadership. So appreciate him joining us. We'll be back after this break to wrap up the show, give you some tools and a little bit of homework right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Researchers trying to stop the spread of malaria have really made a buzz by battling the flying pests that carry the disease with lasers. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. A team at the Intellectual Ventures Lab is working hard to create new technologies to not just control, but eradicate malaria. The team believes that all mosquito-borne illness might one day be stopped by combining several methods of control. One way to help wipe out the disease is to eliminate mosquitoes that carry and spread it. Using mostly inexpensive secondhand parts ordered off of eBay, researchers built a prototype photonic fence, or fence of light. When a bug crosses this fence, the system uses a non-lethal laser to measure the size of the insect and the frequency of its wing beats. Using this data, software detects if the insect is a female mosquito that could carry malaria or other diseases. Once confirmed as a valid target and running safety checks to ensure no unintended object is in view, a second and more powerful laser shoots the mosquito down. Meanwhile, the lab is also developing technologies to make it easy and inexpensive to diagnose the disease quickly and accurately around the world. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Have you ever wanted to travel the world? Now you can experience the vibrant cultures and customs of countries across the globe and cities across America through the eyes and ears of folk artist Eric Dowdle. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle and travel the world weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. As we wrap up the Matt Townsend Show, today we're talking about change and creating healthy change in our lives. And, uh, you know, we've also been talking about leadership and all of the tools you need to, to make sure you're handling change in your workplace. Our producer, Madison, gives us her thoughts on leadership. Teamwork is vastly important in our life. It is one of the most important skills that you will learn in your life. And sometimes I wonder why people are not better at it. We literally have been prepared for teamwork our entire lives. When we were younger, we were taught how to share and to share our toys with other kids. When we were older, we had to learn to be kind and considerate of others. I'm pretty sure that every girl from fourth to sixth grade 
has either been the cause or has been involved with some sort of drama. Boys don't get into it so much, but I'm sure that they fight over their fantasy football picks or who is the best at Halo. When you hit middle school, you try to figure out who you are and who you mesh best with. This is so important for teamwork so that you can see how you work well with others. For high school, can you say group projects? You constantly have to work with others. And sometimes you have to pick up other slack if you care about your grade. Your whole life, you were groomed to work on a team. You learn how to share, think of others, what type of teamwork works for you, and then what can happen if it goes wrong. Kids who graduate from high school now have all the tools to work with others. When these kids go to college, they have to get a job and they almost always have to work in a team. Not only is it essential for entry-level jobs, but it is also necessary to know how to work together in a team for future potential jobs. While I think that working with others is second nature, some find it really difficult. My advice? Find a way to work well with others. Do whatever it takes. Feeling like you're a lone wolf? Well, time to join the wolf pack. Good work, Madison. And uh, that was such a good piece. It actually woke Madison up off the ground when she was just sitting there falling asleep. I was not. Oh, you were I falling asleep. No, falling you were drooling. Oh, uh, no. And you need a pillow or a toilet seat to put your head on. Oh, you're so funny. As we talked about earlier in the show. So um, have you uh, best companies to work for? Now, you all have worked for a few companies, right? It seems like I keep working for schools. What is the deal with that? I've I've been around. Okay. I've worked at a few organizations. Well, let's see if they're on the list. Rob has compiled a best top one hundred. I didn't I I take credit for the CNN money. Did there we go? Top one hundred best companies to work for. I've never worked for any of them. <laughs> well, Good. BYU Broadcasting's obviously number um, one. They, they probably weren't even on the list. They because, forgot to put us on. Yeah, there. we're probably not big <laughs> enough for that. I'd say we were easily top seven. Uh, number one, Google. Oh, I love Google. They invented the workplace where uh, our Dean was uh, – Roger was talking about uh, tossing water balloons back and forth. See, oh, that's but they right. found a way to still be productive and do that. Well, and plus I love it because I can spy on everybody. That's true. For me, Google, Google that makes spying easy. I don't think they'll like that slogan, but <laughs> it's just really profound. Those who uh, are around a Wegmans food market – and we don't have those out no. west. Uh, number four. Apparently, are it's, they really? Yeah, grocery store that, according to this list, Wagman's good to work for. Cool, Edward Jones. Yes, like financial planners, aren't they? Yeah, I think they have a green logo. Or You'd something. actually need money to do that one. Yeah, tend to see uh, that fifty-seven and older crowd with the, yes. I uh, go down the list a little ways here. Zappos, Zappos, the shoes. shoes, online shoes. Yeah. Zappos. Which I, I always pictured them just being a giant warehouse. Just full of children's stuff in shoeboxes. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Probably the warehouse not. Zappos apparently. How many employees do they have? Uh, 3,000. Wow. Zappos. 3,000 people. So they like can't them. all work in a warehouse. No, a lot they of can't. Them logistics right. and and some have to sit in a chair. Some have to stuff stuff in boxes. That's right. Uh, Mercedes-Benz USA. Oh, yeah. Has fewer employees than Zappos. Really? Yeah. Just in USA. Yeah, that's true. Mercedes-Benz USA. But Mercedes-Benz USA's top 10? But see, the difference... Ah, we're into the top 20 now. Okay. But uh, the the big difference is Zappos had a 70% job growth. So there's a huge Yeah, that's shift. booming now. And that uh, is a lot different versus a company like Mercedes they, that's very stable. The the number of Mercedes they sell right. is pretty, well, year to year. Well, I'd like to... Then I don't want to get out of my chair to buy shoes. 
Yeah. Why would you just you'd buy have to, You'd have to go put on your shoes. Right. And that's the problem. No shoes. Because you're buying goes, shoes. Yeah. Now if they just had somebody to put them on my feet, that would you be just great. just sit there and wait at home until they uh, send you your shoes. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. DreamWorks. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the company that always has a film very similar to a Pixar film. Out oh. the same weekend. Utterly coincidental. Just, yeah, things happen. Accidents. Yeah, I'll be darned. Shark Tales and Finding Nemo out the same weekend. Industry accidents. Uh, it, the people who make Quicken. Okay. And, uh, you think that they wouldn't be that exciting. You know, so you have your teenage son who's just excited to go enter his receipts into Quicken. <laughs> That's a messed up boy. USAA, they're the ones that, uh, they're the credit union and insurance agency for people in the armed services. Are any of these are Okay. Which I think they they were okay. I had somebody crash into my car once who had USAA, and I got a It check. worked. The container store. What do they sell there? Containers. I always make fun of it. because I... They sell containment. The container store. We all store. need containment for our stuff, or it would just encroach into everyone else's, a la my paper that you, Sky, kept hitting. <laughs> Maybe you need to go to the container store. Maybe you need to just, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure it was the container store that they opened when I was living in Oregon and uh, south of Portland. They opened one, and everybody, women typically, they opened a container store. And they were so excited. It's interesting as you look at these stories or these companies because it's not the company per se. It's got to be people that are doing this. No, I mean, these are companies that sell shoes. Yeah, they're all sorts. Cars, containers. Who's your, who's your best manager ever and why? Wonk. Why? My best manager, probably not. Give me a name. Oh, I don't even remember. I think it was Rick. Rick. I don't know. Rick. Was this a McDonald's was, or was this? This was when I was a swim lesson instructor. Oh, yeah. We've heard Rick. of Rick. Yeah, we've I've heard, heard of Rick. That. Rick Rick did like nothing. Yeah, okay? Rick was a slacker. Rick was a slacker, but he also made me do nothing. So like if I showed up late, Rick didn't say Rick had low standards. Why are he we talking about Rick's low standards? we got to pick the game up. It was um, fantastic. Okay, so don't listen to Bryce's example. Said best, it wasn't good. It wasn't. It was your best example of a bad uh, example. Uh, okay, homework assignment for everybody. Are you ready? Your job is to go and change. Be ready for change. Deal better with change by either thinking creatively, talking friendly, being more trustworthy, or... Learning how to deal and work better with people. So you're That's open the to homework. them changing it to the Skyler show tomorrow. I'm all, totally open. In <laughs> fact, yeah, 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 yeah. tomorrow we'll even let Skyler do the monologue. You guys don't have to come in. You don't just, have to I'll come just in. Take You'll care just handle it. <laughs> oh man. Well, I guess I'm signing off on my show. Um, Forever. Last time. Uh, from now good on, to be on with be you. the Skyler Hansen show. Skyler Hansen will be here tomorrow, <laughs> filling in for me apparently forever. Thanks for joining us, folks. Tomorrow we'll be back. Fun new topics tomorrow, and of course. Skyler, the boy legend, will be leading the show, <laughs> and we'll see how it all goes. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.